All right, open up to the book of Acts. We are in chapter 1 still, and we are trying to answer the question as we go through this series. Like The whole thing that's driving me as we do this study is, is this question, what kind of church does God want? It's His church, right? He gets to decide. We don't get to decide. He made it up. He, he invented it. He's ordered the church, and He gets to decide. So we, we keep using this, this picture of going to a restaurant and placing an order. If you go and you sit down in the restaurant and you order the steak, what you expect then is to get steak. You don't expect the waiter to come back and say, hey, I thought you prefer spaghetti. Actually, I would rather make this. Uh, this is what we had in the back, so here you go. Right? We don't want to do that with God and with the church, where God said, here's what I want. I want the church to be like this. And then we come to him and say, well, you know what? We didn't want to do that. We would prefer to actually have a church that looks like this, and so we're just going to make the church in our image. We're going to do what we want, and then we'll give it to you. And look, isn't it nice? But God's going to say, no, that's, it might be nice, but it's not what I ordered. So we want to look at the book. We want to look at Acts, where the church is birthed, where he lays the foundation for what the church is supposed to be like, uh, and then all throughout the New Testament as well, where God teaches, here's what the church is supposed to be. Uh, so we've done two studies so far. We've made it through the first 11 verses, and, and both of these studies have really driven us to the same first point, that, that God wants a church that is on mission to tell the world about Jesus. That is why he invented it. He wants a church that is on mission. Uh, so we saw in the first study that mission is not just one activity among many that a church does, as in we've got a line item for missions, and we do this sometimes, but we also do other things. But that mission is the foundational thing that the church is created for. We saw this in Acts 1.8 where Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this is why he has these disciples. This is why he starts the church. He says, because i got a mission for you, and everything you're going to do from this point on until I come back is in fulfillment of this mission. So that's why the church exists. And then we saw last week that, uh, that in fulfilling this mission, that it's, a, it's different. There's been a paradigm shift between the Old Testament approach to this mission and the New Testament. So God has had this mission throughout history to redeem the world through Jesus. And in the Old Testament, though, the mission was primarily an, uh, an attractional one. That is, the way it was fulfilled was by being in one place, being attractive to the nations and saying to everyone, come and see what God is doing here where we are. And God gave them that form of the mission because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They couldn't go out. They had to be local in one location in the, near the temple where God's Spirit dwelt. But in the New Testament, here in these verses, in these pages, we've seen that there's a tremendous change, that, that we get this upgrade, no longer uh, without the Spirit. Now we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. And that incredible upgrade enables us to have a new uh, implementation of the mission. Instead of telling the world, come and see, we get to go and tell. So God sends the disciples out, go to all the nations. Go where the sinners are, like Jesus did. Go to where they are. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them. You don't have to be stationary anymore, constrained by a building, constrained by uh, traditions and laws. You can be flexible and free because you're filled with the Spirit. So go. That's what God wants for his church, a, a, a group of missionaries who are going out and telling everybody about Jesus. So that's what we want to do. That's foundational. But there's more 
to this book. So we want to say, okay, now as the church is trying to fulfill this mission, what sort of things are they doing? We still want to know what kind of church does God want? And the first thing that we see right after they get this mission is the church starts to pray. The early church prays. So we're going to pick it up in verse 12. I'm going to read the whole chapter. We're going to spend most of our time on verse 14. But this is what happens right after they get this mission. So Jesus had told them in verse 4 of chapter 1, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you get the Spirit. Verse 8, he gives them the mission. When you get the Spirit, you're going to do this mission. And so now we get to the section where they're waiting. They're waiting for the Spirit. And while they wait, they pray. This is Acts 1, verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who has accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So this is the story of the apostles waiting, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And a lot of it is taken up with this, this event where as they wait, they've got to pick a replacement now for Judas. They had 12 apostles. Judas is obviously not one of them anymore, so they need to pick another one. Um, and that's what happens in the, in, in the bulk of this section. But I want to focus in on verse 14. Verse 14, which says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So we're trying to figure out what kind of church does God want? What, what did the early church do? Okay, and, and, and how did they fulfill this mission? And so right after God gives them the mission, after Jesus Christ says to them, here's the mission, go into all the world, sharing the gospel, the very next thing that they do is they gather together and they pray. And I think the way that they pray here in this verse, what we see um, shows us at least three things about the kind of church that God wants in relation to prayer. Okay, so let's just look at this verse. There's, there's three things that jumped out to me, how they prayed, that are helpful for us in trying to figure out how we should pray. So the first one that I see is that they prayed first. 
Okay? So the first point is that they prayed first. How did the early church pray? They prayed first. The first thing that they did was prayer. It was a priority. Uh, it seems like that you can kind of divide the world into two types of people. That's always the start to a great joke, right? But, uh, uh, but you can divide the world into two kinds of people. Like there's planners and doers, right? People who are more of the planning type and people more of the action type. And so with the planners, you, you, those are the, the ready, aim, fire, right? Let's get all our ducks in a row. Let's get this right, and then we'll execute the plan. So if you have a planner, a job to do, they're going to think it through, uh, they're going to, if you give them uh, like a new, a new toy, if their kid gets a new toy at Christmas, they're going to sit there and they're going to read the instructions. How do I put this together? And then they'll put it together. Okay, that's the planner type. Now, the advantage of being a planner is that you're very prepared. The disadvantage is that you might uh, spend way too much time planning and not actually get anything done. Okay, but then the doers on the other side, some people are doers, they're the ready, fire, aim people, right? So I don't have time to plan. Let's just get moving. We gotta get it going, we gotta do something. Uh, you know, get the toy out of the box. Who cares about the instructions? Let's just start putting it together. We'll figure it out. Okay, so the advantage there, of course, is they get stuff done. Disadvantage, it might not always be done right. Okay. So these are kind of temperaments that you find in humans. We've got different uh, different ways that resonate with us. Different, just kind of quick survey, curious. Do you see do you see yourself in that? Um, so how many here would think they're more planners? I'm going to say that for me. I am. Okay. How many doers or doers? Good. All right. It's the body of Christ in action, right? He puts different people together. All right. So let's, so for you planners, so let's imagine you're in the disciple situation. Okay. Jesus has just given you a mission. Take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Okay. What's your planning brain start to do? You're like, okay, let's, how are we going to do this? All right. We've got a plan. Okay. So Jesus gave us uh, four zones we're supposed to reach, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Let's see, 12 apostles, 120 people. Okay, so three apostles uh, per zone, uh, 30 people per zone. So we got, now we've got our team. So we've got our Jerusalem team, we've got our Judea team, our Samaria team, and the ends of the earth team. All right, let's think about this. Okay, end of the earth, that's probably going to be tough. We're going to need some money to do that, so we're going to start a fundraiser. So let's plan out. We're going to have a fundraiser to fund the ends of the earth team. Um, and then those of us who are here in Jerusalem We've got to figure out how we're going to reach the people here. Um, we're going to knock on doors. We're going to put up a billboard. We're going to have a big party and try to invite people. And then what happens if people actually come? Like if we do get a big group, who's going to take care of childcare? And how are we going to put everybody in? Like where are we going to fit then? This room doesn't fit everybody. So like you could just see how a planner might just analyze things to death and say, we've got to get all our ducks in a row before we can go out and do this mission and not actually get out and do it. Um, but if you're a doer, like what would you do? You hear Jesus say, um, all right, wait for the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to go out, and you might just even forget he said, wait for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you say, hey, let's just go do it. Let's just go start telling people about Jesus. And you just disperse everywhere, and they never talk to each other again, and the whole thing falls apart. Okay? So what I want you to see here, though, is that neither of those responses are what comes to the surface when Jesus says, here's the mission. They don't start out with a strategy planning meeting nor do they start out by just going out and knocking on doors and starting to talk to people. The first thing that they do is pray. They pray. And I'm sure, because these were humans, I'm sure that within this group of humans, you had some people that were more planning-oriented and some people that were more action-oriented, but, but that's not what comes out right here. Before any of those things come into play, you see that they are prayer-oriented. Before they do anything else, they pray. 
So I think we got to really get this into our brains and into our hearts that, that the church that God wants is, is not a planning church, not an acting church. There's room for both of those things. What he wants first of all is a prayerful church, that everything you do must be built on prayer, must start with prayer, that prayer comes first. And I know that when I say that, it sounds like really spiritual, and you might be like, who could argue with that? Like, well, no, Dan, prayer should come last. Um, but in reality, this is, it, it is hard to do this. It's hard to do because when you start with prayer, and you start with waiting for God, it can get really frustrating. That's why we don't do it. Because whether you're a planner or a doer, like it's, you want to do something, right? So either we're, we're getting out and, and getting our hands dirty and actually doing the work, or we're starting out by making a plan, and that feels really good because now we're in control and we understand what's going to happen. Both of those things kind of scratch that itch in us that say, I want to be doing something. But Jesus says, wait. Before you do, wait pray. It's hard. It's frustrating. I don't like to wait for people. Do you like to wait for people? Um, how many people have, have young kids you just love how long it takes to get their shoes on, right? I just thought, oh, that's my favorite part of the day, right? Just waiting for my kids to get ready. No, we don't like to wait. We have our agendas, but God says wait, pray. You know, I experienced the frustration of this um, over the last couple of years. There's been a group of pastors that God brought together, just local pastors, um, very organically, brought us together around this vision of planting a church in Manunk, wanting to see a church planted in that town. And when we got together, we didn't, we kind of looked at each other and said, um, I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what you're doing? I don't know what I'm doing. So we said, well, let's just pray for a while. Let's, let's just keep getting together, um, talking, seeing what God's doing, and praying for this thing to happen. And so for the last two years, about every six weeks, this group will get together. And some things have happened. It's been kind of cool, but, um, but nothing in Manunk. So each time we get together, we'd talk, we'd encourage each other, uh, and we'd pray. And we'd, we'd talk about planting a church in Manunk, but there's just nothing going on there. And I was getting really frustrated. Some of you know that. I've talked to some of you about this. I was getting really frustrated. And I was about ready to give up on this group. And so one meeting not too long ago, I kind of hijacked the... Uh, discussion and, and just express my frustration. Like, guys, we're not doing anything. <laughs> like, we're just not doing anything. And, and one of the older, wiser pastors says, hey, I think we just need to keep praying. I think we just need to keep praying. And I still, I tell you, I still wanted to quit after that. I was like, come on! Let's do, uh, yes, pray, but let's do something. And then like two weeks ago, out of the blue, one of the pastors in the group emailed the rest of us and said, hey, I, I think I got a guy who wants to plant a church in Manunk. You know, and then tomorrow we're going to be getting together again, and we're going to talk about this some more, pray about this some more. But it just reminded me, like, God's working, okay? He put this vision in our heart. He told us to pray. We were looking. We were, we were, we were trying. It's not like we were just sitting there saying, we, we're not, we don't want to do anything. It just nothing was happening. We were waiting, and we were praying. And, and it seems like God finally started to do something. But it was hard. Two years, that's a long time. It's a long time. It's not very American to wait for something to happen for two years. Like, can't we get a team together and <laughs> raise some funds and make it work? So I share that story to illustrate. It, it sounds good to say we need to pray first, but it's hard. Because it feels like you're doing nothing sometimes. And so any, you know, just doing anything can feel more appealing than another day of just praying and waiting. 
So if we want to be a church that is a New Testament church, then we need to be praying. We need to be waiting. And as I think about our church, um, there's things that we've known for years that we need to do better. We need to change. One of them is just small group ministry, which is non-existent right now, but we've tried different things throughout the, the years, and I just, we know we need to have something where people are getting together in small groups outside of this worship service. Um, and you could grab any number of books off the shelf at the Christian bookstore or my office <laughs> and find a plan or a program. Here's, here's what small groups look like. Here's how you do it. We could start something, but I've been praying a lot. We've been praying. I just feel like we're still waiting. Just, I don't know yet what God's leading us to do. And it's a little scary because it's like, well, I mean, if we don't have the right programs, the people aren't going to stick around and the church isn't going to do well. But we're praying. And I just think if we pray, that's the church God wants. And he'll show us. He'll lead us. So I'm okay with that. And I just throw it out to you guys. Uh, I hope you can be okay with that. This is not my excuse for apathy or not trying to do things, but we've got to have a foundation of prayer. We need to wait on God and say, I'm not going to do this until he leads. This is what they did. They prayed first. They also prayed together. Did you notice that in verse 14? They prayed together. It says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Verse 15 mentions that there are about 120 people all together and they're a little company. So they're praying together. As they pray, as they're waiting on the Lord, they're not in their own little rooms, in their own little closets, praying privately, but they're praying as a group. They're together. So the prayer we're talking about here is group prayer, people praying out loud together with one another. Um, now, personal prayer is still a thing, and you do see that in Acts. You see Peter praying by himself. You see Paul praying by himself. So people are still praying on their own. Um, but you also see tons and tons of group prayer in Acts. You see people having intentional meetings for the purpose of prayer. That's why we're here. So not just not a meeting for something else where they, somebody open in prayer and somebody close in prayer. Oh, we had a meeting where we prayed. No, not really. This is a meeting for prayer. We're getting together to pray. Um, and sometimes it goes on for hours, sometimes all night. So they're praying together. And if you remember, when we studied the Lord's Prayer, this was something that came out of that. Uh, when we paid attention to the pronouns, remember how the Lord's Prayer goes? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Why are those plural pronouns? Uh, in part because the Lord's Prayer is meant to be prayed together. Prayer is the model for prayer, Jesus says, is pray together. Private prayer is great. It's important. It is, you know, a foundational part of your Christian experience. But so is group prayer. So they pray. And as they pray, they have unity. It says in verse 14, all these with one accord, with one accord, with unity, with a like mind, with a singleness of purpose. And this is one of the great joys of group prayer. I, just from my own personal experience, if I share my testimony right now, there is nothing that binds me together with other Christians faster and more deeply than prayer. There's just, I, I, there's nothing that unifies me more deeply with other Christians than spending time with them in prayer uh, to God together. It's just, it's amazing how it works. When you pray with somebody, really pray with somebody, you open up your heart to God, 
before them. They open up their heart to God before you. It just knits Christians together and brings tremendous unity. We can fight over doctrine all day, but you sit down with somebody and you pray to God together, boy, it knits your hearts together. That's what's going on with them. As they pray together, they're, they're, they're in one accord. They have like-mindedness. And not only does prayer draw us together, it's, it seems like group prayer amplifies the power of our prayers. And I, I don't know, I, didn't, I don't have a specific verse for this. Maybe someone else can fill, fill that gap in later. But just from the examples of the prayer meetings in Acts, it seems like they're getting together because they know that if they're praying separately, they don't have the same power, they don't have the same uh, effectiveness in their prayers, that it's better to be praying together. So when something big happens, they don't just uh, send out an announcement and say, hey, can everybody be praying for this on your own? But they say, we need to get together and pray. Like when Peter's in jail, they don't just have everybody on their own say, hey, remember, remember to pray for Peter tonight before you go to sleep. No, they get everybody together to pray all night long for Peter because they know that's how it's going to work, is when we come together for prayer, we're going to uh, experience the power of God. And it's, it's interesting to me, it's encouraging to me that it, it doesn't start with a big group of people. It's 120 people. That's not a big group. Easily could fit in this room right here. Right? Just think about that. The group of Christians that started the movement that now encompasses the globe could fit in this room right here. The starting group could fit right here. No problem. Small group of people devoted themselves to prayer with one another. And God responded by literally changing the world. And every revival I've ever heard of, you can read about different revivals throughout the history of the world. People have written stuff down about moments when God showed up in powerful ways, changed cultures, uh, you know, swept through countries. Every single one of them starts with a small group of people devoting themselves to prayer together. Why does God respond to that? Because that's the kind of church he wants. When he starts to see churches doing the things that he told churches to do, that's when he says, okay, now I can, I, now I can release my power because you're doing it my way. It doesn't happen without prayer. So again, as we think about what, what should we do as a church, how do we structure ourselves such that we are the kind of church that God wants? There's one thing I'm absolutely certain of. We need to meet regularly for prayer together. It is non-negotiable. God wants a church where people pray together. The third thing that you see here is that they prayed a lot. They prayed a lot. You notice in verse 14 it says uh, they were devoting themselves to prayer. That's how the English Standard Version translates it. They were devoting themselves to prayer. Uh, Some other examples, the New American Standard says they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. The NIV says they all joined together constantly in prayer. This is all trying to bring out this, the sense of the Greek word uh, behind that that is to, to persist in something, uh, to continue in something. Um, it, it's sort of like the idea of like when you see a dog just following their owner around. This happens in our kitchen all the time. It's like, get out of here. Um, but the dog will just, like, they're with you. They're just devoted to wherever you go, the dog goes. It's that kind of, it's that sense of the word, like it's just, you're, you're persistent in it, you're following it, you're, you're never going to turn away to something else. They, were, they had that attitude towards prayer. It was something they were devoted to. So it's not just something, that, a box that gets checked, 
Um, it's not just, hey, we, 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 uh, we have a meeting, so we got to start out with prayer, we got to end with prayer. Uh, it's nothing like that. It, this, is, this is, no, this is, this is a lifestyle. This is a passion. You notice this as you read throughout the whole book, and we'll get there eventually, but, but you, you just see them praying all the time. In Acts 2.42, very famous verse, it describes the things that they were doing. One of the things that they were doing was, it says again, uh, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They're obsessed with prayer. They pray all the time. In Acts chapter 4, after persecution happens, what do they do? They get together for a prayer meeting. In Acts chapter 9, after Paul is converted on the road to Damascus, what's the first thing he does? He prays. In Acts 12, I already mentioned this, when Peter was in jail, what's the church do? Hey, we've got to get together, have a prayer meeting all night long. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are arrested, they're sitting in jail, it's midnight. What are they doing? They're singing and praying. Let's have a prayer meeting in jail. I'm not doing, you do anything? I'm not doing anything. Let's just have a prayer meeting. All the time. Throughout the book, people are having visions, people are hearing from the Holy Spirit. When does that happen? When they're in prayer together. People experience miracles and healings. When do those happen? In the result of prayer, when they cry out to God. Prayer is the beating heart that drives everything in Acts because all the things that happen in Acts are the work of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit responds to prayer. So prayer in Acts is far more than a ritual that we, we, we accomplish to get down to the real business of doing the work of Christianity. Prayer is the real business of Christianity. And Jesus made it clear in Acts 1.8 that the mission cannot be accomplished without the Spirit. And you don't have the Spirit unless you pray. I mean, you don't have the power of the Spirit. Every Christian receives the Spirit, but you don't have the power of the Spirit. You haven't unlocked His power until you pray. There's a famous quote, I think it's attributed to E.M. Bounds. One of my old pastors used to say it all the time. He said, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. So maybe that's the thing that God wants you to go away with today. So let's all say that together, okay? Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Pretty simple. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Now again, it sounds great. Like who, who's going to argue with that? Uh, who's going to say, well, no, Dan, I don't think we should pray a lot. <laughs> okay. But how do we do it? Like, unless, unless you fall in love with God and unless you fall in love with the act of prayer, like, you can't do this. It, this level of prayer cannot be sustained by duty or guilt alone. But once you love it, it becomes natural and you desire to do it all the time. So think of conversations you've had with other people, times when you've just different, different folks, maybe some folks you like talking to, people that you don't like talking to. Uh, for me, uh, graduation season is always difficult because I have to go to these parties for like my nieces and nephews where I don't know a lot of people, and I'm expected to talk to them. And, and I know I have an obligation, right, a duty to be polite and to talk to these people that I don't know that maybe I'll see once every couple years when another one of my nieces or nephews graduates from someplace. And if I'm being really good, I'll, I'll, I'll engage in small talk. We'll have this excruciating conversation. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll hit on something that we have a shared interest and we'll be able to talk for a little bit longer, but then eventually it's like, all right, that's enough. 
I'm done. Right? I did my part. I'm going to talk to people I like now. Okay, that's what duty-driven prayer is like, I think, for some of us. Like, yeah, oh, I know I should talk to God. He's here. I'm here. I'm, I'm a Christian, right? I should talk to him. But it can feel excruciating. Like, oh, I just got to... I gotta kind of get through this, put in my time, and then I can check the box and say, I did that. I did my duty as a Christian talking to God. So it's like this duty-driven small talk that we have with him. Okay, now if that's the, if that's your attitude, you're never, ever, ever gonna have this sort of experience like they have in Acts of spending hours in prayer with other people. Like you'd say, that sounds terrible. That's like putting me in a room with all these strangers and say, now you gotta talk to them for the next four hours. Oh my gosh. Okay, but but there's there's a huge difference when you encounter joy-driven prayer. That's like a conversation with your best friend. I've got friends, one friend in particular, that if you told us, all right, you guys have an hour to talk, I'd say, oh, that's, that's not even, it's not even worth it. <laughs> an hour? I mean, I could sit down with this guy and talk, and we could talk for the whole day and still feel like we've just scratched the surface. There's just so much rapport and shared interest and, and deep friendship and if you've, you know, fallen in love before, you know, that, that beginning time when you, yeah, when you start to talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend and, and, and everything's fresh and wonderful and you could talk to them for hours and you wonder where the time went. Because you love them, because you're full of joy, because it's a delight. And it's possible to have a prayer life like that where you love God so much, you have found such joy in prayer that literally you, you, can, you can spend an hour in prayer and feel like, oh man, I've got so much more to say. I've got so, I just want to listen more. I want to spend more time. I don't want to get on with my day. I don't want to go do this other stuff because this is so rich and I have to. Okay, now I don't want you guys to get the, the, the impression that, I'm, that that's every day for me. Okay? <laughs> that's not every day for me, but sometimes it is. And God has been taking me on a journey to enjoy him more. I'd say over the last 10 years, really, it's been uh, this journey to enjoy God more in prayer. Um, you know, and kind of like Dave's testimony today, I feel like in the last month, I got a fresh experience of the power of God and the love of God in my life. It was when I was out in San Francisco about a month and a half ago. We were having prayer meetings. So this is a training thing. I visited a church so that uh, I could learn some more about what they're doing. Um, and just kind of receive some, some encouragement from them. And, and each morning when we got together, we had a, a day of training scheduled, and they started the day with prayer. And, and it was, what was different was most of the time when I go to Christian things, I say, oh, we're going to start with prayer. Somebody maybe will get called on or they'll raise their hand and say, hey, could you open us in prayer? And they say a short prayer, a real prayer. And then, all right, now on to here's the material we want to get through. But these guys, they said, hey, let's just spend some time with God. We've got some things we're going to talk about, but the first thing, let's just pray. And we just had time to pray. Um, somebody would maybe share some scripture that they were reading. Someone would you know, just pray, uh, praise towards God. Maybe someone would get up and walk over where somebody was and put their hands on them, just pray over them for a while. Someone would start singing. We would praise God in song. Um, it, was just, it was so powerful. And by the end of the week of doing this, we spent an hour in the morning just praying, and it went like that. Because God was there, and it was rich, and it was a joy. I thought, I want this all the time. And so God gives us that gift. It can be a joy. 
And ever since coming back from there, I, I just, I just want to pray with people, right? Like, I've been faithful throughout the years to pray for you, and I still want to pray for you, but I want to pray with you more, too. Right? I just find myself calling people up, saying, hey, can we just pray for a while? And not just me pray for you, but can we pray together? Because it's a delight. When, when Dave showed up last Thursday for the prayer meeting, and it was just the two of us, I was okay with that. I mean, I'd love more of you to be there, for your sake. But God was there, and it was a joy. Wasn't it great, Dave, to pray on Thursday? It was amazing. It, <laughs> and I didn't want to go. I, Thursday evening was dinner time. I did not want to go. And I showed up, and we just prayed. And it changed my whole day. It changed the rest of the week. It, so I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. Like, God is real. Prayer is life-giving. And when you fall in love with God and meeting with Him in prayer, you will find yourself eventually saying, just an hour? Just an hour? All right, that's all we've got. And that's how they prayed in Acts. They prayed all the time. It wasn't a drudgery. It wasn't a duty. It was a delight. So they prayed. They prayed first before they did anything. They prayed together in unity, and they prayed a lot. And I want to try to lead us in following their example. Um, so we just have to do it. And I'm struggling to try to figure out how to put this into practice or how to help you put it in practice. Um, so one thing is we're going to meet Wednesday night. I'm going to be here. Um, and I know schedules are, are complicated and crazy. Um, and sometimes it's just impossible to come there. So I'm not saying that's the only time that we can pray. But it is a time that I'm trying to set apart uh, to pray. And so if that does work for you or you can make it work, I would love to pray together with you this Wednesday. And I'm, I'm not even saying this Wednesday and every Wednesday the rest of the summer. I'm saying, hey, this, let's try it again. We tried Thursday last week. Let's try Wednesday this week, 6.30 here at church. Um, I hope that that can work. But what other things can we do? Uh, just, okay, so I'm offering myself you know, use me as a point person. So if you're like, I can't do Wednesday, I would like to pray with somebody. And maybe even, maybe the, being in a larger group is still intimidating for you, although it was not a large group this week, so don't worry about that. Um, I, am, I am willing to go anywhere, anytime to pray with anybody. So you want somebody, you want to pray with somebody? I'm, I'll be there, okay? I'll come pray with you. So I'll try to clear my schedule as much as possible this week, you know, whatever. You want to pray? I'll pray with you. We'll get something started there. Or uh, I can help to connect people. So if you say, I'd like to pray with somebody, here's the times when I can pray. So if you guys just tell me those sorts of things, I can match people up. If you say, Wednesday night doesn't work, but here's a time that would work. Maybe a couple people can do that. Uh, different places, it doesn't have to be here, right? This building isn't sacred. So I'm offering to do that. Um, you can also start something on your own, right? You've got the Holy Spirit. I got the Holy Spirit. You can start something. So I was just thinking about that this week. Like, Maybe, maybe this is God's call on you to transform your workplace. That once a week on your lunch break, you, you find that other Christian at your office. And you say, can we pray together? Um, and you make a, a, a pact to do that. Like start a prayer meeting at your work. Um, maybe you find that Christian on your street. I'm sure you've got some Christians living around you. You find that Christian on your street and say, I would love to pray with other Christians. Could we pray for our neighborhood together? And you say, once a week, once every other week, let's pray together. That's how, that's how movements start. 
is when God's, make, when God's people make prayer a priority, when we pray first, when we pray together, we pray all the time. And when we do that, God's Spirit shows up. That's what He did in Acts. That's what He's done throughout history. If we want Him to show up, this is what we have to do. If we're going to accomplish the mission, we need to pray. So I'm going to pray now for us to close. But don't let this be the last prayer you have with a group of people until next Sunday. And let me help you, whatever way I can. Let's pray. Father, we want to be more like this. We want to be your people who pray. And I hope it's clear to everybody here that, that I'm in process on this, but I'm just sharing what I've learned and the joy that I've found in meeting with you and with your people in prayer. And we need more of that. We need more of that. So Lord, help us, um, help us to find the times, to make the times, uh, to make the meetings where we are getting together and, and start a fire. Lord, these, we're offering ourselves up as little sparks and we cannot do anything on our own, but would you take those little sparks and make them a flame, a flame of revival that, that transforms our lives, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our communities, that more people would come to know you, that we could accomplish the mission. In Jesus' name, amen.